Welcome to Shift, a College Admissions ACT and SAT podcast for a changing world. I'm Tyler, founder of Achievable, and we have an affordable ACT course that uses memory-based adaptive learning technology to get you better results in less time. You can get a free trial by visiting achievable.me, and if you like it, use the code podcast to get 10% off at checkout. Now, let's get started. So today we've got Sam Hassel with us on the line. And Sam, if you could just introduce yourself and your company, that would be great. Sure. So my name is Sam Hassel. I am one of the owners at Westchester Prep, which is a boutique tutoring, test prep, and college advising company in Westchester, New York, right above New York City. Um, I direct our college advising team called Great Minds Advising here. And um, we uh, help to uh, sort of escort students through the the college advising process and um, we are full service college advising company so we work with students all the way from as early as seventh and eighth grade working with them all the way up and through uh, their application process really helping them to package their unique admissions narratives and also to help them build those admission stories fantastic yeah and so key to that right is building a resume right um especially if you're trying to get into top schools and so i think that this is going to be a great topic today and and we're going to do a little bit of a longer episode on this i want to dig in with you on what makes a successful college resume um and i think that first off uh, a lot of people probably don't realize that you need to have a resume in the first place right like a lot of times they just think it's a college application you don't have to like a resume is for work right so what are the advantages like why should you do a resume at all in the first place yeah so we typically talk about um the sort of metric factors of college admissions and this is what a lot of parents are typically most familiar with this is what a lot of people spend um sort of a disproportionate amount of time talking about and metrics are what we typically refer to um or what we call your gpa your uh, course rigor, so how many honors and advanced courses you take, your test scores, these are sort of quantifiable indicators of your candidacy, and they're easy to assess. Um, we have numbers for them. We kind of understand what a 4.0 GPA is or an A-plus average. We understand that the SAT is out of 1,600, and you know if you have a 1580, that's a very good score. And so there tends to be a, a disproportionate amount of time spent on talking about these metric factors. Many students talk about um, if you're sort of in online forums or they're comparing their candidacy, they'll talk about sort of what were your stats, uh, quote unquote. And while metrics are certainly the foundation of a student's candidacy and will often be necessary for the foundational part of the review process um, or an initial round of review in sorting applications, uh, there are so many students, particularly at competitive colleges, that have really great test scores. They have really great grades. They take honors and advanced courses. And it's sort of um, ceased to be, be the case in admissions that a student can really differentiate their candidacy only based on um, their numbers. They really need a lot more. And so we often mm -hmm. describe the the metrics or these quantitative factors really as the necessary conditions uh, for admission, um, but they're often insufficient in and of themselves for admission. They will kind of get you up to a certain point, um, but then there are so many students that still have all those same numbers. And then a college is really looking for, okay, now among those applicants who've passed that initial review or that foundational part of the application review, how are we going to sort of decide among these applicants that are still left? And um, even at a lot of top colleges, you still have, you know, um, maybe, you know, only one out of five applicants will sort of uh, be weeded out in the initial review process as sort of not having sufficient metrics on where they're sort of not even in range for the kind of metric foundation you would need. So there are a lot of applicants who are going to tend to be passing through um, the initial filters um, where they have good grades, they have test scores, or maybe they're test optional nowadays, um, so they can still pass through and they've taken mm -hmm. hard classes. So the resume really will help to sort of come in in that sort of, um, okay, now tell me about yourself. What else is compelling about um, your great grades, your great GPA? And this is really where the student needs to build the sort of what we typically call a, a compelling admission story or narrative um, that's really centered around their resume, their extracurriculars, these other activities that go beyond sort of these 
um, foundational quantitative measures for their candidacy. Right. And, and I think that that's a good way of looking at it because at the end of the day, um, you know, it's with great inflation and also just with sort of like the, the schools getting more and more competitive to the point where like I think Harvard's admissions now is like 3%. Yeah. Um, you're probably going to be, even if you're excellent, you're probably on equal metrics footing with uh, enough applicants that they can't admit everybody. Right. So like, what are, what are these colleges looking for? And so when you're thinking about, you know, what should I, you know, what should I maybe be trying to position myself as in, in, in the resume, you know, are they looking for like well-rounded students or is that kind of overblown at this point? Yeah. So what we typically come across is we sort of call it the kind of well-rounded caricature almost. Um, and it's sort of this notion that um, a student should be involved in a sport, they should do some community service, um, they should be part of a, a motley array of clubs at their high school, um, they should play an instrument, very typical. And this is sort of, um, we also call it sort of an artifact of admissions. It's something that was the case at one point in admissions where, where colleges were looking for very well-rounded students mm -hmm. back in really the 80s, maybe the early 90s. Um, and then you sort of just hit this saturation point where there's so many students who could optimize for the metrics and just having a breadth of activities that again, you sort of, um, you start to fail to hit this sort of scarcity threshold, right? Um, you have too many students who can all mm -hmm. accomplish the same thing. And then you're sort of saying, well, okay, how do we filter between all these students who have a great metrics and they, you know, play the violin and they, you know, play a sport. Um, and so it is something that did exist in admissions at one point in time, um, as admissions was going through a phase where it was more than just metrics and extracurriculars did start to enter the fold. But now it's much more so around a student mm -hmm. who has a very focused um, sort of admissions niche or narrative um, and passion area. And so that's one of okay. the first things that we, we really try to work with. Um, particularly our students on is sort of what is this sort of passion? What is this narrative going to be and how will you sort of, you know, executionally tackle it? Um, and a student is really looking to put together what a college is trying to see as some sort of academic relevance or some promise in a certain area. So a college is fundamentally, of course, an academic mm. institution. You're going to be going there to, to major in some field. If you can say, just as you would in a job, you know, we're talking about a resume, you know, resume seems like it's for a job, not for college. Um, you know, you're trying to motivate your candidacy to this job that you're applying. For. So if you're applying to be a business major, you're applying for the job, mm -hmm. quote unquote, of being a business major, they're going to want to see what have you actually done that substantiates and supports that interest. So are you one of the presidents right. and founders of a business club at your school? Um, have you had a business internship? You run a business. Um, many students that we've worked with actually run a successful business and are entrepreneurial. Um, and so you're really trying to aggregate um, sort of a cluster of activities or extracurriculars around basically an academic theme so that when you're going to the college and you're putting, I'm applying for X major, it's not just you saying you want to major and because a lot of kids say they want to major in something, right? Um, I always joke that any mm -hmm. student who's ever watched an episode of Grey's Anatomy says they want to be a doctor, um, but a college doesn't necessarily um, always believe what just what a student is saying. It's can you show me that you've actually, can you show me the evidence that you've actually pursued this thing that you're saying that you want to study in college? And that sort of narrative becomes even more accentuated the more competitive the college you're applying to, and also the more competitive the field is that you're going to be applying to. So if it's a very competitive area or major, you mm -hmm. need to have a deeper resume um, in that field. Um, so my next question for you really is, why is the resume process um, actually the right vehicle for figuring out, you know, what makes you impressive and what's kind of unique about you? Like, what is it that, um, you know, how can you use your, your resume building process to, to kind of kick off this journey, <laughs> if you will? Yeah, so I think there's kind of two parts there. Um, one is why, why is the resume an important sort of um, indicator? Why does, why does it factor into your candidacy? Um, and right. I think the point there is um, first, uh, 
we typically will say that a resume, when you add it on top of the student's metrics, it will sort of have greater predictive validity over um, a student's, really, it's, it's more predictive of their interest in a field. It's more of an honest signal of their desire to actually study a field. As you mentioned, you know, if you have somebody who's applying to a job and they say they want to do that job, but they have no support of it, um, it's not as sort of well vetted or, or evidenced. Um, and so having a resume to support these interests certainly provides a better signal that the student is genuinely um, motivated and, you know, sort of for the right reasons. Um, it's not because they, you know, want to do finance because they think they're just going to make a lot of money or they've seen like a cool video about, uh, you know, or a movie about Wall Street. Um, and so I think right. it provides a good, a good signal and indicator of interest. It also provides um, sort of this uh, greater predictive variable on top of the other factors that will say, oh, well, if a student sort of has excelled in these areas also outside of the classroom and they've run a successful business or they've had a, a successful business internship or they built a business club and had you know, really impressive contributions to that club, you could sort of say, well, if we add the predictive validity of that on top of their sort of metrics and their test scores, it's going to be a better predictor of their future success in this domain than just looking at saying, you know, oh, they take calculus and they do well, so therefore they're going to be good at business because they're generically good at math. That's a not great predictor right. of their success in a future domain. So I think that's sort of why the admissions officers are looking for it. It also makes for a much easier application to read, right? It's like you're applying to this area. You did these extracurriculars. You talk about this narrative and this focus in your essays. I can see you're stronger in these areas academically. Hopefully your test score support it. And you're like kind of just looking through all these different columns and categories. You're like, oh, yeah, this all adds up and all points in this direction. It's very easy in the eight minutes, you know, 10 minutes in admissions officers devoting to your application to say, oh, this is a very coherent story. I can make sense of this versus, right. you know, a student who's on the newspaper and the forensics club and they play the violin and they do lacrosse. It's like, what do these all have to do with each other? Why are you saying you want to study, you know, um, this area? And so right. I think it makes for a much more coherent um, sort of predictive narrative. As to how a student actually goes about executing and tackling um, this sort of narrative, we kind of have to start in the, the discovery phase first. So we have to say, well, what is this student passionate about? Um, where do their abilities lie? Where do their talents lie? And so that's typically how we, we begin engaging our advising students is we do a very deep dive discovery. We'll ask them a lot of questions. Um, we'll often even take essay questions from the application process when the colleges are asking like intellectual curiosity and what do you do outside of the classroom and um, different anecdotes will actually use to sort of motivate the discovery process and see how does the student spend their free time um, when they're sort of not in the classroom? What are they gravitating to? Are they watching mm -hmm. YouTube videos on a certain topic? Are they listening to podcasts? Are they you know, like, what are they really going out of their way to do? What are they naturally gravitating to beyond the classroom? Um, and you can certainly look within the classroom as well and say, which subjects is the student sort of um, pulled more towards? Um, what's a project that they got really excited about where they really wanted to go above and beyond? Um, you know, like we had a student um, this past year who um, was really motivated by engineering in a historical context. And so when he was in history class, he wanted to learn about Spitfires and World War II planes, and it tied into his real like love and desire for engineering. Um, and mm. so those are sort of some of the early signs and indicators and directions we'll start to look, um, look at, and then we'll start to try to build the narrative and audit it, and then start actually executionally tackling it in terms of the activities we're putting in place. Yeah, so I mean, it's, it sounds like it helps to start this process early then. Like, when would you recommend people start thinking about this? Yeah, so it's, it's one of the, the funny things that I often say is um, we often get a lot of, um, for a given family, a lot of uh, first-time 11th graders as the oldest students. And then before we've even sort of wrapped up their process, um, already being asked about sort of the ninth grade sibling. And I think a lot mm. of... A lot of families and, and certainly students themselves can appreciate that it really 
the more time that you have for this process um, to sort of do this discovery, to make it a little bit more iterative and sort of, you know, um, sort of put some pressure on some activities and some narratives and sort of see what you get back and sort of say, oh, well, you know, I kind of did this and this is a really interesting sort of angle. And even just finding the contours, you might be generally interested in a field, Mm -hmm. but you might like a little bit more of one side of it versus another side. You know, business is a very broad domain. Biomedical areas mm-hmm. are very broad domains. There's a lot of different niches and um, causes and issues within different fields. And a student who starts much earlier in the process, certainly they have some more time for discovery. I would actually say discovery tends to be rather quick. I think if you're looking, if you're good at identifying mm-hmm. nuances and if you're really good at auditing, um, you know, which I'd like to think that we are of sort of seeing the small little signs of how students spend their time and what they're really good at. I think if you do a really good nuanced process, I think you can actually hit the ground running pretty quickly. But if you if you can hit the ground and you have three years to sort of execute versus you hit the ground and you only have five months until you're applying to college to build your story, um, you obviously have a tremendous amount more runway if you're getting started earlier. And the other thing that I think is important to underscore is a lot of doors will open up where there's sort of a lot of compounding progress. So a student who wants to get Mm -hmm. into a competitive summer program in 11th grade will need to have done earlier things to sort of build up a resume to apply to that competitive summer program, right? So mm-hmm. if they haven't done anything in ninth or 10th grade, they're not going to even have a resume to now add this more impressive resume builder. And it is very cumulative like that, right? It's sort of like you can't take calculus right. unless you've sort of taken algebra one, algebra two, trigonometry, pre-calc. And so students who've really started to build their resume, they'll find that they have more opportunities if they're reaching out for internships, like they've already built a resume in the field and now they can work their way up and get a higher value opportunity in the field because they've already put in place some of the lower or sort of middle value building blocks from ninth and 10th grade. And now they can get even bigger opportunities. They might be able to go after awards or competitions in their field because they sort of have started building this um, from much earlier age. Right. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, that's good advice. I I don't know if obviously not everybody can do that because you can't go back in time. Um, but I sure. think if you are listening sure. to this as a parent, you have the opportunity to potentially, uh, you know, get your kid thinking about this at least a, like in ninth grade, tenth grade. I think that it can be a big advantage. Um, yes. And then I think yes. also there's just like a different mindset, right, when it comes to like building a resume versus like just getting good grades. Like because in a way, the path to like good grades and good uh you know good ap's and things like that is kind of uh, laid out for you most of the time obviously maybe that's like me coming from a more privileged background i'm sure it's not obvious for everybody but i think that um it's it's usually a bit more straightforward or at least a bit more thought about in the context of the school's college counselor etc than like this resume building approach so how do you think the mindset needs to shift for the parent and the student um, as they're kind of getting ready to start doing this and then also start executing. Yeah, so it's pretty interesting. I think that we've seen that the the mindset that a student needs to have in order to really succeed in the resume building process tends to be a little bit different from the one that they need um, in sort of an academic context. So what we've seen is that some students who are, um, you know, sort of very accustomed and you know, when you when you take a test, particularly if you're trying to apply to competitive colleges, it's, you know, if you get 100 on your test, we have 100 GPA or a perfect 4.0 versus sort of a 97 or a 3.9, you know, you sort of get docked, you know, in an academic context, in a school context, if you make any mistakes or if you take some risks or if you don't follow the procedure that your math teacher sort of laid out for you exactly of how they want you to solve this exact problem, right? And Mm -hmm. when you're moving sort of beyond the classroom, it can really tend to take on much more of a, you know, sort of risk seeking um, sort of nature. So students really have to put themselves out there a lot more. They need to be willing to put themselves in front of adults and not only adults, but possibly even adults who are 
experts or even the top of their field in some cases. Um, you have mm -hmm. students who sometimes even unwittingly um, or perhaps intentionally are reaching out to, for example, a prospective science research mentor on a topic they want to study. And that might be a very prominent figure in that field or on that topic. And the student really has to have almost like the courage or the sort of audacity almost to sort of say, I'm going to email this person. I'm going to try to convey why I as a 15, 16 year old, you know, student um, can add value to their project. Um, and mm -hmm. it's really interesting to sort of watch students go through that process and sort of um, identify how can they be valuable? How can they contribute to something? Um, how, how do they sort of sell or market themselves? And also just a lot of times, um, a lot of these students will go through a significant um, failure. They'll reach out, you know, they might be applying for internships or awards or um, to organizations or a bunch of different opportunities. And they don't hear back. They have to send, you know, 30, 50, 70, 100 emails um, before, you know, one person gets back to them. And I think a lot of times it's sort of funny because if you talk to parents about this, you know, they'll sort of be like, oh, yeah, it's like the real world, right? It's like you have to be gritty sometimes and you have to build up that perseverance. And a lot of students aren't always accustomed to that sort of skill set, sort of just going through their academics and their school context. Um, they don't really have mm -hmm. to necessarily face all of that, that failure in a lot of cases and sort of go through that very iterative process. Um, so I think the, the kind of overall mindset a student needs to really build a successful resume, first of all, they have to understand who they are as a student. They have to understand which sort of opportunities will work better for them. Or is that sort of an opportunity that's more structured? Is it, does it have less structure? Um, can I thrive if I don't have as much structure or as much help in the opportunity? Um, they have to sort of look at, you know, um, how likely is something to come through? What's sort of the probability of it? Um, you know, I need to have sort of this, this perseverance and this grid as I sort of iterate through or reach out. And so it tends to be quite a different um, mindset for a lot of students as they shift out of the academic paradigm into the extracurriculars. Yeah, and I, I think that also it, um, it in a lot of ways is what colleges want. Like colleges don't want somebody who's like never faced failure in their life, and then you know because a lot of times in college it's going to be more challenging academically than anything you've dealt with in high school, and then you are going to have a test that you bomb, or you are going to have you know a student body election that you don't win or whatever it is and they don't want somebody who's just going to kind of like be like well i guess i'm not good at this anymore and then quit like they want somebody who's going to actually like continue to fight through it and right. also just because that does translate to real world success right which at the end of the day is kind of the college's goal in a lot of ways like they want you to be successful on campus they also want you to be successful after you're a graduate of their school Right. And right. so in the real world, you know, just like you said, the parents think uh, there's a lot of failure. Um, it's just I think everybody fails. Right. I mean, even Elon Musk or whatever, like everybody has <laughs> failed at something at some point. Steve Jobs got fired. Right. Went from being CEO right. of Apple. He got brought back, but he got fired because he failed at quite a few right. different junctures. Um, and so. Uh, really, I think it does align better with what the university wants. And then it also, you know, it gives you direction to all these different things that you're doing. Right. And I think that's maybe the, 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 the building part of the resume building process that I think is interesting is like, rather than like, I did some violin and I did robotics club and I'm in AP bio, you know, that you're kind of starting to think about like, a direction and also what activities are relevant to that direction. So like, how do you, how do you guys, when you're working with students uh, start to put in that sort of like plan in place, right. For like, what are, you know, okay. So you're really interested in X, like, what are you going to do? Like, what are you, you know, what things are there, what things are relevant, what things are going to look good and what should you actually work on? Yeah, so we typically, um, as I mentioned, there's there's sort of some different variables that you have to assess about the student. Um, do they, you're sort of trying to set them up for success. So do they thrive in a more structured environment or could they do well potentially in a more entrepreneurial, innovative, sort of unstructured climate? Um, 
you know, a student who's maybe starting a nonprofit by themselves or a business by themselves, they won't necessarily have as much of a sort of rigid structure. Um, they might have to go look some things up by themselves. They're sort of the leader. Um, it won't be outside of the school walls. Um, there's no club advisor, you know, sort of to, to lead their business um, or any teacher to go to. So um, if a student um, can thrive in that sort of environment, you might say, okay, this student can actually start, you know, a nonprofit or they can start a business by themselves. Um, other students might need things that are more structured. They might need summer programs. They might need more internships with, a, you know, a hierarchical, you know, or mentor structure. Um, they might need to be in a science research program in their high school where there's like a devoted class period um, to like their project that they're researching and they'll interface with a university mentor, but there's still like an accountability that's literally baked into their school setting, basically. Like they have to go to that class and it guides them through the timelines and the project and they do presentations. And so I think structure versus um, lack of structure is definitely something that is important. Like we have to sort of assess mm -hmm. and students have to have good self-awareness to know what sort of environments do you sort of do you thrive in? Um, and so we'll look through um, variables such as that. We'll look through what the probability is of something coming through. It would be great if you, as a 15-year-old, if you're interested in engineering, could go get an internship at SpaceX, but that's not very likely to come through. It would be very high value or very high upside. Um, but there's a lot of things that have um, very low probability, right? And so you also sort of have to consider um, what is like, what's the value or sort of the upside or how awesome would this sort of opportunity be weighted against the fact that often very high value things um, might, might have some lower probabilities. Um, obviously the sort of ideal part of the spectrum there is something um, could be high value, um, for instance, science research. And it's not always that difficult, it can certainly be challenging and frustrating, but it is possible to get a science research mentor um, and to secure one. And so things that sort of have a reasonable probability, but are potentially very high value or sort of where you'd ideally like to like to be aiming. Um, and then we often talk about time management. Um, so how much time is this activity going to require versus sort of the upside or the impressiveness or how passionate you are about it? Uh, we often use sports as sort of like the very, you know, sports are great. I always say that I love sports. They're fantastic. I'm a huge sports fan. Um, but from a time versus value perspective, playing a high school sport takes up a tremendous amount of time and it adds essentially zero value to a student's applications. So it's unless the they're applying possible. for to play the sport. Correct. Correct. So I, we often yeah. say that there's sort of two, two categories of sports, um, recruited and kind of irrelevant or everything else. Right. So there's, there's, right. if it's going to be part of your narrative and your recruited athlete, or even if you can find some very creative way to fit your involvement in a sport into something, let's say that you happen to be like the manager or the statistician for the sports team, and you're going to be applying for data science or statistics or sports management, if you have some very interesting role in the sports capacity, um, you could possibly flex it. Um, there's also a lot of academic disciplines that are related to sports medicine, et cetera. So you can get very creative and try to find some sort of um, narrative there. But for most students, it's, it's difficult. It's like sort of trying to squeeze water out of a rock um, in terms of their admissions narrative. So we'll often go right. through a lot it's of It's also those. just like so many yeah. admissions narratives are just like, I was, you know, lying on the field on my back because we had just lost the <laughs> sports game where we would have gone to the championship final at States. And like, then I overcame this. And it's like, unfortunately, as much as sports are totally a human struggle and something that's very meaningful to the people that are in it. It is, like you said, a pretty crowded uh, topic when it comes to like admissions essays, even or things like that. Certainly, it's definitely one of the um, I think most common essay topics is sort of the the winning shot or the you know we just um, we lost the championship and as you were saying I was lying on the ground you know uh, blood and tears and you know it's all of that is um, very common and again it's sort of 
admissions officer is going to look at that and say, well, what does this have to do with what you're applying for? <laughs> um, it doesn't really, right. it doesn't necessarily have any, any on its surface relevance to um, sort of your academic uh, path. Yeah. So then, I mean, what are the activities you generally recommend people look at? Um, right. Not sports <laughs> as much. Yeah. Unless, again, it's an admitted type of sport, but what are some examples of things that people could look into kind of maybe from, typically low, highest return on investment to maybe lower or riskier? Yeah, so I think, um, and I, I think this is sort of pretty clear to most students and families that clubs are sort of um, usually a building block of every student's resume. Now, how much beyond high school clubs and a student's school t- context the student goes, um, that will sort of determine, you know, sort of the level of the tier of college they can get into. So a student who wants to go to Harvard or MIT or Stanford, if all they do is just they're in three or four clubs and they're, you know, a president or a founder of those clubs, that simply won't be impressive enough. There are too many students, too many high schools um, where students have leadership in clubs. And so, but they are a good building block. So, First of all, you want to look at what clubs are offered at your high school um, and say, yeah. oh, this club is sort of relevant to what I think my admissions narrative could be or what my passions are, um, you know, sort of as as sort of, um, you know, evinced by the discovery process. And you want to say, oh, I could join this club. And then you want to try to focus on depth. So how can I make contributions to this club? How can I help to fundraise? How can I launch a speaker series? How can I launch a new event um, in this club? How can I coordinate, be a leader? And so a student not only wants to be part of the club, they don't want to just, you know, we always say when students are listing their activities in the Common App, they don't want to say participated or attended or I was just there, right? They want to say, I innovated, I led, I coordinated, I fundraised. And they want to really add depth in those clubs that they join. And hopefully those clubs have ideally some relevance to their admissions narrative. Um, so if they have no interest in writing or journalism, but they're on the newspaper and they're an editor in chief, that's okay. It's good, but it would be better if it were also relevant, right? Not just they were in the club and they had depth in it, but it also is relevant on top of that. Um, and so students really want to focus on um, identifying clubs in their school that they can tackle, they can build depth, and then hopefully have relevance to their unfolding admissions narrative. Um, and if there's a club that doesn't exist in the student's school or they want to start a club, they can certainly go through that process. Um, and we often suggest that students try to do that with other motivated students who can also help them to sort of go through those procedures so they're not kind of tackling it um, all by themselves. Um, so clubs are certainly one. And that will usually be a building block of a student's resume for all different tiers of colleges. Um, mm-hmm. For a student who is really looking to go to top 25 schools and particularly, you know, top 10, top five, they will have to do quite a bit more. Um, so those students mm-hmm. will usually be the kinds of students who will need to start an organization, whether it's a nonprofit, as I mentioned, or a um a business um if they're interested in business something that really shows high caliber high level initiative um drive they don't have a neat structured environment where there's a club advisor and there's a teacher and it's in the school and it's in the nice four walls of their of their high school um they really need to go above and beyond um and so it could be starting an organization uh, we have a lot of students, uh, science research is very popular, as I mentioned. So a student mm-hmm. either through their high school's research program um, or through just reaching out to university mentors and knowing how to tackle, identify mentors in a certain area on a certain topic, um, trying to um, network and get into a research opportunity with a university professor. That tends to be a very high level activity that you see in a lot of top students' resumes, particularly those who are um, positioning for STEM, but also even for other areas. Um, there are certainly university researchers and professors, um, and you could do research across a wide variety of fields. You could even do research in philosophy, uh, which is not what you typically think of as maybe research, but you could research for a book. You know, we had a student who helped to edit a professor's book or researching a topic or for a paper. Um, 
So you tend to see science research, um, you know, organizations. You also have summer programs, um, internships, and summer programs and internships can sort of um, can vary. They're sort of getting an internship at, you know, your dad's law firm over the summer. That's not going to be nearly as impressive as, you know, getting into um, a certain top program for, you know, maybe um, that has a pre-law theme or legal studies or political science, you know, like Yale Global Scholars or um, something that is sort of um, much more impressive. So activities along the summer program lines or internships will also vary in terms of, you know, how hard was, was it to get? Was this a very competitive summer program where you had to meet a lot of criteria to get into this program? Or was it just sort of a you know, if you spend $10,000, like we don't ask you too many questions, we're just going to let you into the summer program. That's not going to be nearly as impressive. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a very multifaceted attack in terms of the different sort of building blocks of the student's resume from clubs, science research to organizations, business, nonprofit, internships, summer programs, and a lot. And we just want to know who the student is, what field they're in, um, and where they're sort of thriving and how we can sort of go about executing that. Um, and so really now that you've got kind of this whole structure laid out, right, you've got kind of, the, here's all the things you could do. Maybe you built a spreadsheet, maybe you built a list, you've got an idea of kind of some stuff that you want to be looking at and working on in a, in a timeline. Um, how do you first just like take stock of what you already have, particularly if you're already a high school junior? Um, and then second, like, you know, use that to kind of like, build like build your plan for the future yeah so the the process for an 11th grader student who's nearing their applications is quite a bit different as you can imagine from a student who's starting in you know eighth ninth grade um or even even 10th grade um Mm -hmm. they have a lot less time in front of them and so we have to usually tend to be quite a bit more creative and really draw out from what they've actually done a sort of theme. Um, and the nice side of this is um, when you are later on in the process, you do have sort of more of an actual accumulated resume to, to analyze, right? So if you're starting in ninth grade, you have a lot of time, but usually have less data, right? You haven't put as much in your resume that would sort of point to promising directions or you know, I really built a lot of depth in this club versus this other club. So we can sort of see like, you know, they're probably more interested in this area versus this other area. Um, You do definitely have that benefit of just having more um, sort of evidence and data to go off of. Um, And one of the things that we typically try to do with students who are starting later on is we can't reinvent the wheel at that point in time. We can't start from, you know, ground zero like we could if we're in seventh or eighth grade. Um, We have to sort of make do with what we have and the evidence that we have in front of us and say, oh, we can sort of identify, you know, this theme, like this student has a lot of um, depth in this club or this science research, or we can sort of connect the dots between these different activities And there's sort of a theme here. There's an academic theme. There's a topic. There's an issue that motivates them or drives them. Um, And sort of in the same way that, you know, as, um, you know, somebody who's evaluating a candidate for a job, you would sort of say, oh, I can see the connection between this experience and this experience. um, And I can kind of connect the dots. And so that um, is really what we're trying to do when students are starting later on. We're trying to take the body of evidence that they've accumulated in data and their resume and what's already there. We're also looking at their academic strengths, which classes have they performed better in, where have they challenged themselves, challenged themselves more, um, maybe their test scores. Like, you know, if they're trying to do something that is STEM or, you know, quantitative driven, you know, have they excelled more on the math and science portions of their standardized testing, you know, versus the verbal, the verbal portions. Um, and so we're sort of looking at their strengths and weaknesses, and we're, we're trying to ideally um, aggregate their strengths as much as we can and sort of um, emphasize their strengths that we see in their candidacy. And then any weaknesses, you know, the club that they just, you know, attended the meetings or, you know, that class where they maybe didn't get, you know, the best grade. We're trying to get that out of the admission story as much as possible so we can sort of attenuate those weaknesses um, and sort of really emphasize and put into the light their strengths. And then once we're sort of doing that, we'll say, 
okay, we think this is what the narrative is. We see that this is where the student's strengths sort of seem to lie and the data that they've sort of um, put together. And sometimes that often is different from what the student is consciously stating. They might say like, you know, I'm interested in engineering, but actually they've ended up building a writing background sort of inadvertently because a bunch of what they do is writing or something totally opposite. And it seems very incongruent, but you can imagine how incongruent it's going to seem to an admissions officer. If they're like, this student has better verbal scores, but they say they want to do engineering. They, you know, seem to be a prolific writer. They haven't done anything in engineering. So why do they want to do engineering? Um, so we're going to look at it the way that admissions officer look at it and say, you know, okay, the student seems to be very strong in these areas. These, this is promising. Now in the remaining time that we have, can we go any deeper into these? So can we extend these anymore? So if a student, you know, um, can they add even more depth in those clubs that we think are promising? Can they add one more summer course or one more summer program on top of that narrative? Um, can they reach out and maybe, maybe even later stage find a research opportunity or an internship, um, sort of deepen or extend that theme that's already there? But you're not starting from scratch. Admissions officers weren't born yesterday. If you start something in the summer going into 12th grade, they're going to think that it might be more disingenuous or you're just doing it for your applications or you might just be mm-hmm. very far behind a lot of other students in your field. And so we really want to look on look at what strengths you have up to that point and then possibly extend them right before we're about to apply to college. Yeah, I mean, I think that in particular, um, you know, they want to see like commitment and impact, right? They want to see that you are committed to robotics club from ninth grade onwards, not that you did it in 12th grade because you're like, oh, I'm applying to CS programs. Um, And they want to see impact, right? They want to see that you advanced through robotics club or that you, you know, helped the team make it to the state semifinals or whatever versus um, just like, oh, I joined the club and like, you know, I'm, I like, they aren't even sure you went to meetings, right? A lot of people right. can say they did things. Right. <laughs> like right. you can't call the robotics club and check. Right. So I think that's all really good advice. And then I think, um, you know, how do you, once you're kind of off and running on this process, like how do you continue to improve it and iterate on it as you're going? Yeah. So a, a lot of students, um, again, it's going to sort of be bifurcated a little bit by um, how early the student is in high school um, versus how late mm-hmm. they are in high school. So sort of how far out is the application process? There are a lot of people who think that they're going to be experimenting or iterating, you know, in the summer going into 12th grade right before their applications. It's like that's their first foray into a field. Um but, you know, we're just, you know, it's like, oh, we're, we're kind of kicking the wheels. I don't know. The student might be interested in humanities. They might be interested in STEM. And that's not the time to be experimenting with what the narrative is that the, co- that the student's going to be um, selling the college on. It's, it's simply too late. Um, and mm-hmm. so a student who's very late stage will need to sort of be very focused and sort of identify that narrative and that theme. There's not a lot of runway for iteration or you know, to simply sort of, um, you know, tinker around. For a student who does start earlier Mm -hmm. on and there's a greater runway and ramp there, they can be a little bit more iterative. Um, It tends not to really look like uh, a massive switch between fields. So usually, you know, when we're doing discovery and we're sort of looking, even if a student's very early on, we tend not to miss the entire field they're interested in, right? Like we're kind of in the vicinity of the fields, right? It might be broadly mm-hmm. biomedical. It might be broadly business. It might be broadly engineering. Um, you know, it might be broadly, you know, English or literature or writing. Um, it, it tends to sort of what you tend to be iterating through is more of the crevices and the nuances in that field, more of the subfields, the subdisciplines what's the exact issue or cause or topic in that field? You know, if you're doing science research, right, it's if you were interested in neuroscience, well, there's a million different, you know, subfields of neuroscience. There's different methods. There's different backgrounds. There's different topics you could study. There's no shortage of those. Um, so we tend to usually be able to get the sort of in the vicinity narrative right from the beginning. And then when the student is sort of starting to dive into it, um, 
you can sort of start to now iterate through more promising sort of niches or nuances in that narrative and say, oh, well, the student got a really impressive, you know, um, opportunity that maybe isn't, you know, if they're interested in philosophy, it's not just philosophy at large, but it's some very particular um, topic, like philosophy of space or um, space policy, um, as we've had students who are interested in. And so usually it sort of tends to be like, you know, sort of a pyramid. It kind of gets more focused mm -hmm. and more niche as you sort of go. Um, and most students tend to, um, you know, the field and kind of the general theme usually tends to be right if you're doing the discovery process correctly. Um, students tend not to switch like the entire narrative. Um, they just tend to iterate through more of those crevices and really see where the big spikes are emerging. Um, so in some cases, if some really big opportunity comes through and it's attached to a more particular sub theme of their narrative, that might be more promising to sort of focus on in their admission story, that particular niche, because they got a really big opportunity on that angle that came through for them. And again, you want to focus or spotlight everything that's really strong in their candidacy. Um, so you might just sort of go in that direction a little bit more because they got a huge opportunity that was on very, maybe like one particular sub theme of their narrative. Right. Well, and I think that like having something that niche will give you a really unique angle for the admissions process. Right. Um, and at the end of the day, like it, you know, if you love it, then you can potentially keep doing it for the rest of your life. If you don't love it, like the college isn't going to be upset if you like back out a little bit, right. <laughs> still, <laughs> you're still doing philosophy and you're just not doing space philosophy anymore. I feel like it'll still, be okay once you're already there. Uh, and, and yeah, the goal of all this at the end of the day is to find out what you want to do, right? That is supposed to be the goal of going to college in the first place is to learn what you're actually going to do in your career. Um, and so that's where, you know, taking a resume focused approach, I think makes a lot of sense. I'm curious then as we kind of wrap this up, do you have any closing thoughts on, this resume building process and and how it can shape both like the college application for you, uh, but also, you know, really help you define what your interests and what you want to do in life. Yeah. So I think that, you know, we, we typically say that the kind of the greatest ROI of, um, you know, we think of the advising process of building a resume of, you know, sort of tackling a student's passions or where the unique abilities and talents lie is really in that, you know, they can sort of find themselves. They can find what they're interested in from a much earlier age um, than a lot of parents are typically expecting, right? And if a student can um, start to really identify these interests when they're 14 versus when they're 22 or when they're 32, they just have so much more potential experience in a field. Um, they're just at such a higher level than a student who is starting much later in that field, um, you know, would have, right? So, you know, typically, I mean, if we're talking about people who are usually experts or top of any field, in a lot of cases, you know, chess prodigies start early, right? They start when they're four or five. Um, if you want to be a world-class bodybuilder, like those, they usually start lifting when they were, you know, 12 or in high school. They don't show up when they're, you know, 28 and start deciding they're going to lift weights and be Mr. Olympia. Um, and so while a lot of people certainly can discover, you know, interests in fields um, and, you know, there are certain things that you also can't pursue from a very young age. It's like if you want to be a doctor, you can start sort of kicking the tires on it and start looking into it, but you still have to go through all of the education and the specialization and you still have to go through academia. It's going to be a long haul. Um, and, you know, we tend right. not to sort of see like, you know, as many biology prodigies as we see math prodigies. Right. Um, so mm -hmm. there, you know, we really think that that time is a really critical, a really critical aspect. And the more time that you have, um, if you could sort of get through the one the 101 and the introduction when you're 16 to a field versus just being at the ground floor when you're 21 and you're in college and, you know, you're just sort of learning the basics of doing business, for instance. If you've already run a business in high school, 
you will just be that more, um, you'll be that much further ahead in your fields. Um, and you will, as you kind of mentioned earlier, you will have more data um, through which you can iterate. Like mm -hmm. you actually be getting experiences that will give you real signals of whether this is for you versus, you know, you're just studying something in an academic context and in a textbook and you're not really thinking what it looks like in, out in the real world or this is actually for you. And then you graduate and you're 22 and you're, you actually then dip your toes and you're like, oh yeah, I actually made a, a wrong decision. Um, and so I think right. it gives students a lot more data, ability to iterate and time is just so valuable. Um, I, I like to really um, kind of use as an analog, like investing, right? If you invest early on and you have the benefit of time, you can see that compounding growth, right? It will keep compounding over time and over time and over time and over time. And even just small amounts of effort or sort of money, if you're investing, you know, compounding over 20 or 30 years versus only sort of compounding over a few years, you just get massive growth, right? And so a student who has this very long time haul and trajectory We'll just be able to see that compounding effect. Um, they'll be able to go a lot farther ahead. They'll get more opportunities. They'll get the data. Um, and they'll be able, even if they decide something's not ultimately for them, even just developing the skill set of just getting good at something um, and just identifying where they're strong, mm -hmm. where they're weaker, you will learn regardless. Where you won't learn is if you don't do anything in the first place. And that's where we see a lot of people are crippled is, they don't want to make a decision. They're not, I'm not sure. Am I interested in this? Am I interested in that? There's just take a probabilistic direction. We say it's not deterministic. You're not signing a contract that you're going down this field, you know, in this area forever and you can never return. Um, but this looks like right. a promising avenue. Start exploring it. And if you have to back out or pivot or it takes on a little bit of a different contour than you were anticipating, that's totally fine, but at least you're doing something, you're building a resume, you're getting experience, you're learning, and you're actually responding to data rather than just being in your head and just thinking forever. Right. Well, and also, if you're in your head and thinking about it forever, you're also not really learning one way or the other. Like, you don't right. know whether it's good or bad. You're just, you're just going to be worried again, uh, but six months later. Right. So it, you actually will never make progress, even on determining whether you like something or not, unless you try. Right. Yeah, definitely. Great. Well, thanks so much, Sam. This has been Shift, a college admissions podcast for a changing world, hosted by Tyler from Achievable with Sam Hassel from Westchester Prep. You can get a free trial of Achievable's ACT course by going to achievable.me and be sure to use the code podcast to get 10% off if you like it.